Here we go. You're tuning in to Will Love Listen. Now listen. Hey, Will Lovers. Thanks for tuning in to Will Love Listen. Today, I'll be speaking with singer, songwriter, voiceover extraordinaire, Lisa Loeb. We celebrate 25 years of tales from being the first artist to hit number one without a recording contract to making the move to reality TV to winning recent Grammys and launching Lisa Loeb Eyewear. First off, it's great to speak with you again. We last spoke back in summer 2015, so it's been a minute. Oh, wow. For the No Fairy Tale record or? Yeah, and you were doing a 90s fest in Brooklyn. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. That was hilarious. <laughs> that was that was like all the rage that summer. That was so funny. That was actually one of the first kind of 90s fests I had done, I think. And it made me realize that, like, it's okay. Like, I don't totally think of myself personally as stuck in the 90s. Um, but I know people acknowledge and love that like I have music that was from the 90s and it reminds them of the 90s but I realized that it was actually a lot of fun and it it was a a cool thing to be able to feel very present and current but at the same time have that nostalgic connection as well and it all like it all worked out plus I got to see LL Cool J no 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 it wasn't LL Cool J it was Coolio oh Coolio yeah LL's confused there were a lot of big names at that show yeah it was it was very fun and um the fans were so enthusiastic. Oh, I could imagine. I saw all pictures online with them in like their tie dye. Uh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it was like a whole Nickelodeon. Like, what is that? That game show? That theme? Oh, um, um, where you get slimed? Yes, I can't I remember the name, is. but I know exactly what yeah. show you're talking about. Yeah. Anyway. Well, congratulations. Um, I know it's the anniversary of your iconic single, Stay, I Missed You. It celebrates its 26th year topping Billboard Hot 100. Yes. When you think of the 90s, you automatically think of that song and Reality Bites. Ah. How does it feel to have been the first artist to achieve a number one without a recording contract? That's still a major feat. It feels great. It feels great. You know, it it, um, was really cool to be an independent artist (coughs) and still today basically be an independent artist, even though I worked with a lot of major companies and record companies. I still come from a very independent spirit place where I like to make the kind of music and do the different projects that I like to do and then find my kind of corporate partners to reach people. Um, so it was it was great. It was such a great way to start my, my commercial part of my career. Um, it, it uh, you know, and, it, and it, was, it was cool to be a, a groundbreaker in that way. You were also one of the first musicians to cross over into the reality TV world uh, before reality TV saturated the market. What was it like filming number one single on E! And would you consider getting back into reality TV today, seeing what it has become? You know, reality TV, a lot of time and a lot of effort because it's storytelling um, based on a lot of, uh, you shoot a lot, but it's not documentary, so we don't have cameras following all the time. I've actually recently been doing Watch Along to my old reality series, the number one single series with my fan club, and so I've been revisiting it really recently over the last month or so, and it was a lot of work, and that being said, the reason I decided to do it was because I felt like I had a story to tell that other people really related to. And I felt like if I could tell my story, people would feel more comfortable with what they were going through, which was a woman. I I was a woman in my late 30s, still single, um, trying to balance my career and my personal life and realizing that I had to put more focus on my personal life in order to, to continue on, you know, and, 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 uh, make the next thing happen. Um, 
so because I got to tell that story, it made it all the work worth it because it was a lot of work and a lot of time. Everything from wardrobe, uh, producing the show, figuring out where we were going to shoot, who we were going to shoot with, editing, everything took a lot of time and effort. Um, but it did really help me in real life focus in on my, my dating and my personal life. Um, but it did take a lot of time. So I don't know if I would personally be, well, I mean, I could be on reality TV if I was one of the producers. I like having a lot of control um, over what you see. And I, that being said, I would love to produce someone else's reality show and help them tell their story the best that they can. Because I feel like as audience members, we really learn a lot about ourselves and we feel connected to others through watching their story. Yeah, very true. Very true. And I think because you've worked so long, uh, you're very hands-on with your music from the writing from yeah. writing to producing. I think uh, you'd be able to produce a great reality TV show because you've been on both ends of the yeah. spectrum. Well, I think it's so... You know, you can make things, uh, you can present things in a lot of different ways. And even when we were in the editing booth, a second here and there can tell a different story, you know? So I think it's important for people, um, I, I don't know, I'm really fascinated by, by how you can present your story in a lot of different ways. And again, I'm just sort of completely obsessed. The reason I, I still make music so much is I really love connecting with people um, and hearing people's stories and hearing what's going on with other people and sharing advice with people and, and people sharing their experience and advice with me. That connection really makes it all worth it. Speaking of connecting with people, you've released award-winning children's albums and books. In 2018, you even took home the Grammy for Best Children's Album for Feel What You Feel. What was it like to make that transition musically? It, it was very freeing. It was, it's very, um, to, to be able to work in a genre of music that is so open, um, you know, within the children's music genre, you, again, it comes back to telling stories. Um, I was able to explore themes and uh, music style and humor and things that were even more heartfelt than some of the music I'd made for grown-ups. To be able to explore all of those different things was really eye-opening for me, and I had a lot of fun doing it. Um, and it, and I've learned a lot from it when I went back to making grown-up music. Um, I feel like the kids' music and, and being focused and figuring out what do I want to say and how do I say it in a way where people can understand it when they hear it in a way that's not so abstract as some of my grown-up music, to me that, that's been my goal as a songwriter. So I really loved doing children's music. Well, I notice you're also very much an entrepreneur. You have an organic coffee, Wake Up Brew, whose profits also go to your foundation, Camp Lisa. It must feel rewarding to be able to send undeserved kids to summer camp and allow them an opportunity that they probably would not have been permitted otherwise. Yeah, well, you nailed it. You, you, you hit the nail on the head. I think what happened was when I made my second children's record, Camp Lisa, I really wanted people to feel what it feels like to go to camp and the, the sense of joy and connectedness with others and whimsy and humor, all of those things and independence and community. And I realized that although I could express it through music and through piquing other people's interest in summer camp um, and also reminding people who had a nostalgic connection to summer camp, reminding them how great summer camp is, I also realized I'd like to actually influence and help kids for real, you know, not just with ideas and music. So I realized the best hands-on way to do that was to start trying to send kids to summer camp, not to create my own camp, but to partner with 
an organization called Scope in New York City that helps find kids who need the summer camp experience and find amazing camps that are accredited, that are safe, that really focus on the values that, that, I'm, that are important to me. You know, fun, learning, independence, community, um, empowerment, all of these things you can get from camp. Absolutely. I think it's, it's very rewarding and, you know, you're, you're, you're doing a lot of good. So I give you major kudos for that. Thank you. Well, as a musician, it's amazing. I get to participate in political functions and fundraisers for different causes and, you know, a lot of being on stage, helping people raise money. But I realized that the, the more hands-on I can be, the better, you know, if I can actually, I, I don't know, the closer to being more hands-on, I think is important to me. And that's another goal of mine, you know, to continue to, to work with kids, to actually work with them, not just help donate money, you know? No, of course. Although that's really important too. Yeah, no, I mean, definitely both are very much important. But you, I feel like you've always been very hands-on in your career. Like, for example, 10 years ago, you founded uh, the Lisa Loeb Eyewear Collection. You've always been known yeah. for your signature cat eyeglasses. And I have to say, the line looks amazing. What was it oh, like? thank you. Oh, you're welcome. I want to know, what was it like to venture into this field? And where's the line available? It's really exciting. You know, today I actually had a, um, an impromptu eyewear fitting with uh, somebody who came over to my house for a tap dance lesson. <laughs> I, I take tap dance lessons in distance tap dance lessons at my house. Oh, I love um, it. In the backyard with masks. Um, <laughs> person had bought my glasses at an auction, so I took all the frames out and she was trying them on with a mask and a mirror far away from me. But I love being able to, you know, I've, I've always loved glasses ever since I've worn them since I was a kid and I've always looked for unique frames and styles and I've come to the place where I think glasses can be empowering. Um, they can be pretty and sexy and positive. And people have told me that wearing glasses, because I was wearing them, made them feel good about wearing their glasses because they saw me wearing my glasses on TV and my album covers um, and things like that. So to be able to have an eyewear line that really helps make women of all different skin tones, face shapes, you know, help them look and feel the way I feel when I wear my glasses, and they can see, which is very important um, as a human, to be able to see if you have that ability to have your vision corrected. Um, I love being able to have the eyewear line. Again, it's for a lot of us who wear glasses, it's almost like a hobby as well. So it's another way to connect with other people. And I get to hear people's stories. And I love the creative side as well. I work with the eyewear designer very closely. Um, when it's not COVID time, we actually work at my kitchen table. Um, we just did a Zoom meeting recently where I got to see all the new styles and, and pipe and, and I got to pipe in about which colors I liked better and worse and which styles and which ones needed tweaking. So I'm very involved in the, the design process, even though I do work with a professional, um, cause I'm not, you know, an eyewear designer, but I do work with the designer. So I love the creative part. And again, connecting with other people who wear glasses and I love hearing how it empowers women and young girls, um, to feel their best and, and men, we don't have men's glasses yet, but, so I hear from men who say that they like wearing their glasses because I wear mine. Yeah, you've always, that, I feel like that was such a great venture for you to get into because you've always been known for your glasses and the line's very unique and it's very fresh. So props to that and you know what you're doing. Thank you. Well, we like to try to stay on trend and also on brand. So there's things that I like for me personally, but we also kind of know what's going on in the world of glasses as well. So we try to 
really be fashion forward and at the same time um, capture what I love about glasses. Now, I posted on social media that I was going to be interviewing you. I posted on like different outlets like, you know, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. But on, my Facebook was blowing up and everyone had like such interesting questions. So I feel like I have to ask you this one in particular. Um, sure. Your album Tales appears to have powered a lot of people's childhoods. So uh, some people are very curious to know what your favorite track is on that album. On the Tales album? Ooh. Um, I'm trying to think which songs are on there. I really like Rose Colored Time. That's on Tales, isn't it? Um, that song uh, is just very 90s and very dark and a little grungy and a little mysterious. And it's based on one of my favorite movies, um, Paper Moon. Oh. And weirdly, we recorded part of it in Tatum O'Neill's summer beach house. We set up a studio there. And um, Tatum O'Neill was the star of the movie Paper Moon. So interesting. So that that was like the most uh, one of the most memorable for you. I think so. I, it, there's so many songs on that record. I'm trying to remember exactly what's on it. <laughs> I should know. We've been looking at it lately because it's I think the 25th anniversary coming up of Tales soon. Yeah. Um, speak, speaking of which, what inspired Sandalwood and uh, the Garden of Delights? Because those are some very beautiful Ooh. songs. I love Sandalwood, too. I actually recently on Facebook earlier today saw a fan had sent me a video of himself playing Sandalwood with a really beautiful open tuning. And I asked him to send me the, the how to play what he was playing. Um, Sandalwood was initially, this is a weird thing, but it was initially geared towards somebody I did not like very much. <laughs> I, was, I, was, I was full of very angry feelings. And then I decided to flip it and make it into a love song because I thought that's much more vulnerable to be able to write a love song than write a hate song. Um, so that's what that song is. And on the recording, my friend Jesse Harris plays one of the guitars. And Jesse is a songwriter and he, as well as an artist. And he ended up um, being very well known for writing a lot of Nora Jones' big hit songs. Oh, wow. Um, so Jesse plays on that on that song. And then um, Garden of Delights was actually a song I wrote freshman year of college. And it was inspired by the painting Garden of Delights um, by Bruegel, like an old medieval painting. Is it medieval? I think it's medieval. Um, maybe Renaissance. It's an old painting with all these crazy things going on. And it's just a very typical, playful, um, love-hate song about relationships. And, and I kept... I, I put it on two different recordings when I was in college. And then after I graduated, I put it on the purple tape as an acoustic song. And then I put it on my first album. I had to put it on there. Ah. It's traveled with me for so long. Um, I also DJ for a top 40 radio station, K104, and adult contemporary station, WHUD. And my coworker there wants to know um, if your husband still works for Conan. Because the last time uh, you guys had spoke... Um, it was like uh, it was like quite some time ago, and your husband was working for a Conan. Oh wow! Well, first of all, we should do a radio interview over the next three weeks because stay was at number one over the last three weeks, and it would be a good time to do a radio interview. But second yes, of it all, would. Um, my husband doesn't work at Conan anymore. He worked there for a really long time, and his most recent job there was um, producing the music bands and booking the bands. But when Conan went to a thirty-minute format instead of an hour, they decided not to have music, so. You know that job wasn't really there anymore. Um, he left on very, you know, on very friendly terms. But now he's the um, the vice president of operations at Capitol Recording Studios. So he's oh, wow. still very much in music and production. Oh, congratulations to him! 
That's great. Yeah, it's really cool. Icon- what an iconic studio. You're now on your 15th studio album. So, I mean, I want to know. It might be more than that because I did the two books that were actually studio albums. But anyway. So maybe this is the 17th. <laughs> it might be 17 or 18. But anyway, yes. Lots of albums. And you're very hands-on. You've written such an extensive collection of songs. What do you find that you're most inspired by? Are you more inspired by um, positive moments and accomplishments? Or is there more inspiration in like the betrayal and the heartbreak? Well, lately, especially with my new album, A Simple Trick to Happiness, it really is the positive side of things. But it's definitely... Uh, I have yin-yang stuck in my head because we have a card game called Spot It, and that's one of the um, symbols is the yin-yang. But it's it's seeing the darkness and seeing the difficult things, but also being able to reframe things so that you can find the positive and figure out how to get out on the other side. And I like that. Because, that, because that's so important to me, and that theme, you can hear it through years and years of my music, um, that theme, I, I wanted I wanted songs like that on the new record, songs that remind me of the little messages I write on post-it notes and stick on my mirror, or things that I see on Instagram that kind of stick with me throughout the day. They, you know, they, they're, they're these little bits of wisdom, and I wanted to have a record that felt like that. Um, and it also sonically felt like that. Like there's certain songs you can listen to and they just put you in a certain mood if you listen to them in the morning. Um, so that was that was the conversation I had with all the songwriters that I worked with during the process saying, look, the kind of songs that I want to write are songs that stick with you, that have um, messages that mean something to me now. Um, and we were able to find a lot of different ways to look at that overall feeling and theme to create a lot of variety in one record. And they aren't all exactly about that, but um, that that was really important to me, especially being a grown-up and making a record. It's so different when I'm writing Garden of Delights as a freshman in college or Do You Sleep as a senior in college and, um, and being a grown-up and thinking, well, what's important to me now? It's not, you know, what's going to be a hit on the radio. It's what do I want to communicate so that when I talk to my fans after my shows, we have something to talk about because I, I, I put out there where I am right now. And, um, so that, that was really important to me as I continue writing, you know? Yeah. Your writing is, um, is amazing. And, you know, I relate to it. Like, um, some of your songs and it, uh, it's uh, some of your more lesser known songs, such as, um, your song, how, and, um, uh, your song I Wish from the Anywhere But Here soundtrack are some of my favorites. I love that. Thank you. I love my song I Wish and it's hard to find it. It is. And yeah. I, my friend Dan Coleman who did a lot of the um, string arrangements on Firecracker uh, he's a composer and he, he arranged the strings for that and I, I love writing for movies and both of those songs kind of bring out the best in storytelling because they give you some idea of what they want what, whose point of view it is and what the character is going through and again it comes back to being much more focused than other songs and I feel like it just it, it makes for a great song and I love singing those songs so much those two songs in particular got me through like so much hardship growing up so uh, thank you uh, thank you for them <laughs> thank you now, um, with the new album, A Simple Trick to Happiness, um, it, you, you cite it as your most personal album to date. Um, how was it recording it? Um, especially since I know the albums received very positive reviews. So it, your vulnerability um, 
It seems like people were very receptive to your vulnerability. Yeah, you know, when I when I look back at other songs and people ask me, like, oh, did your record company want you to write another song like Stay? Of course, the record company wanted me to write always write another song like Stay because it was a popular song. But for me as a creative person, I had to think, well, what, what is it about the song? What What is it about the song that makes it connect? And I realized it's it was honest. It was one of my more honest songs where I was just speaking without editing myself a lot and although editing is a huge part of um is a huge part of songwriting um I I felt like that was what I needed to tap into and that's what I enjoy singing most when I'm on stage are songs that are personal also I will say when I was younger when I heard folky songs uh sometimes it annoyed me I liked more sort of 70s rock songs and the cure and more mysterious music when I was younger but as I get older and as I see how the audience responds, and I, I like that connection with the audience, as I've said a million times, um, when I can write a song that's more direct uh, and, and more focused, it's, it's, the circle is more complete. I feel like I'm communicating something, the audience feels like they're understanding something. And so I really took that to heart on my album. Um, and, and I and I say that too when I teach songwriting that, that really you need to speak from your own voice because yeah. we, we all tell the same stories over and over and over again but it's your unique way of telling those stories that makes you you as an artist and I try to follow that that direction myself you know that I give to others well it's great advice and I mean you're definitely doing something right you you've had such an extensive career from music to television voiceovers um, to various businesses that you've established. Um, what would you say as your biggest or one of your biggest accomplishments today? Um, I think, you know, even just talking about this new record, being able to feel that every new thing that I put out, I feel really connected with and I'm really proud of it. And I'm excited for the next thing to have that kind of longevity and connection with what I do. Um, I'm very lucky and I'm very proud to be able to do that. COVID-19 has affected the music industry tremendously this year. Um, more specifically, how has it affected you? In some ways, it's uh, been tough because I, couldn't, I can't go out on the road and play in front of people, um, which is a big part of what I do. Um, on the other side, I've been meaning to, for years, figure out how to have a better uh, virtual connection with my fans because there's so many people out there who don't go to shows whose schedules don't really work with that and so I've been able to really connect with my fans learn a lot more about my technology so that I can do it in a way that presents the music and my performances well I think um, and also just creatively I, I'm, I'm never in one place for such a long time so I have a lot of projects um, that I'm working on right now while I continue to do voiceover work and host radio shows for Sirius XM and still play music for my new record and do virtual concerts and finish editing videos that are still coming out for my new record. So I'm able to do a lot more and connect a lot more with my fans in a way that I wish I had done years ago that I've been meaning to do for a long time, but I never really was able to follow through on it. But because I'm at home and I have a little bit more of a through line, um, I'm able to do that now. That's amazing because, you know, I've, I've spoken with various artists recently and, you know, the the answer has been more negative than positive, but I, I like how you basically turn a negative situation into a positive. Yeah, I mean, again, like, it's, it's great. It's a great job to be able to go tour and to have people come buy tickets and see you. Um, we're still trying to figure out as musicians how to make people feel comfortable supporting their musicians and their artists. 
by actually, you know, paying to see them play or be a member of their fan club or buy their cute t-shirts or buy their music. Um, because, you know, we have, we, there are costs associated with being a human and also being a, a musician. Absolutely. Um, it's, a, it's a little easier to do that traditionally by playing concerts. But in the meantime, I think this is a, an exciting time for, aside from the terrible health situation going on in the world, um, I think it's an exciting time for us to be making changes with education, with uh, music industry. Um, it's a way to kind of reapproach and rethink how things are done um, and figure out how to make the best of it. I like that. Lastly, um, in closing, as far as the interview goes, what's next for you? Um, well, I, I don't like to say exactly what I really have going on next. What I'll tell you I have going on next is I have a couple of kids' records I'm working on. Um, but I have, uh, I mean, immediately I have a concert on August 15th with Stage It, and there'll be more live concerts like that that people can buy a ticket and come see me play virtually. I've got vinyl coming out for the new record, A Simple Trick to Happiness, um, on Record Store Day. Record Store Day was divided into a few different days, but mine's coming out at the end of August, and people can get my vinyl, A Simple Trick to Happiness. Um, I've recently started a, a fan club, and there's a lot of things going on with the fan club that are fun, unique experiences, um, like the watch along to the uh, reality the reality show, um, and ways to connect closer. And also Cameo. Cameo has been this crazy thing. It's an app that you can order messages for people. And I've, again, connected with so many people to give people messages about their anniversaries, their birthdays, you know, uh, uplifting messages during these times, um, all kinds of messages and Zoom meetings. And it's been really fun to do that. Uh, to connect with people in that way. Oh, I love it. I love it. And congratulations again. Thank you. Once things, you know, once things slow down, um, next year you definitely have to do a show here in New Jersey. I would love to. And maybe in the meantime, we could do a geo-targeted New Jersey show. Yeah, that's actually not a bad idea. That's a really good idea. I definitely appreciate you speaking with me today. You gave me some great material to work with. And it's, it's so nice to speak with like someone when you're actually like a fan of their music. I really appreciate it, too, as a musician, to speak to somebody who actually knows what they're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. I, thank you for that. Make sure to pick up the latest issue of Out in Jersey magazine to read Will Love's monthly music memo. Find out the hottest albums available on shelves and streaming platforms now. After wrapping up that interview with Lisa, it calls for a toast. If you hear me pouring some Riesling... It's time to celebrate. Let's take a sip before, yeah. Before I start spilling this tea at some point. (laughs) (laughs) Lisa Loeb, she is a sweetheart. I see her and I think sweetheart. Yeah, she's amazing. I've interviewed Lisa over the years, whether it be for like a magazine or a radio station I was working for. And she was always such a pleasure to deal with. And she was always so open and so honest. And if you notice when you interview her, she's very quick. Yeah. Like you'll ask her a question and she'll answer right away. She doesn't think or become like hesitant to say what's on her mind. She recalls things very easily too. Like me, I'd be struggling. Like, was that 93 or 94? She She has a great memory. I have a great memory and she does too. And it's a dangerous quality because, (laughs) you know, when you need to pull something out, you can pull it out. You got the receipts. Or, but it's also horrible because it reminds you of like memories. If you like break up and miss someone or if you're really hurt by someone, you remember all the details. Or that awkward thing you said in the fourth grade. Yes, exactly. I didn't mean to hurt your feelings. Feelings. Oh my God! Yeah. <laughs> Wherever you are, <laughs> I actually met up with a friend from high school I hadn't seen in ten years last night, 
And How I, I didn't really that? stay in touch with anyone from high school. And then we went back to their place and was were looking through the yearbook. And it was like, all of a sudden, I remembered all these shits oh. for people that I had totally forgot about. I don't think high school was easy for anyone. So, And then I remembered my high school crush, who oh, ironically... Just one? I found out... Well, no, there were a couple. <laughs> but who I found out didn't actually go to my high school. What? Um, but always popped up because we all had the same friends and they all went to that high school and he went to a private school. It's okay. Let's okay. But go staying on subject matter. I want to hear more about this I like about Lisa is her conviction because when she answers, she says stuff with such conviction and I feel that makes for a great guest and it always makes for a great interview. Yeah. I love her glasses. That's always been a thing for me. Well, you wear glasses. I do. I do. (laughs) And so it's like to see a beautiful, strong, independent woman just living her life and wearing her frames. And now she has that line um, of that that, uh, lenswear line. Yeah. And it's like, yes. It's a quality. I want to channel that power. Like, through my lenses. <laughs> um, but something else I think of, I, I remember number one single. Like yeah, yeah. One of the first reality TV shows on E! All about her dating life. We were like, what? We high were school? super young. Number one single is a reality-based show that aired on E! And it premiered January 22nd, 2006. Yes. So I was... Either a freshman or sophomore in high school. At I the was time. in high school at the time as well. Yeah, I was either a freshman or sophomore. But I didn't really watch because, like, that wasn't my. Th- I wasn't into reality TV even at that early stage. See, I grew up always into music. My parents were very into music. I was always into music. I used to collect like CDs and even vinyls. So I knew Lisa's low music, even though when she first hit the scene in the '90s with her uh, first single '94, I was like, what for? Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, so I was aware of her, and I did watch that show. Gotcha. But it's so interesting to see reality TV, what it was then, which was very authentic to what it is now, which is so overly produced. Do I still watch reality TV? Mm -hmm. Well, I would love to do a reality TV show just because I feel like now's the time to do it. I'm single right now. I don't have kids. So if I want to go and make a complete asshole out of myself and get a six-figure paycheck, which is an easy luxury paycheck, the time to do it is now. Now. When I don't need to answer to anybody. But you still got drama. But I... I reality TV left a bad taste in my mouth for a hot minute because, well, oh, we had are, spoken about this. Are you going to spill the tea? Yeah. Or, or rather the Riesling? Yeah, both, I'm sure. <laughs> I'm just going to preface this by saying everything I'm about to say is this is an entertainment podcast. So everything I'm about to say is completely alleged. It's all said allegedly. And to the best of my memory, and this is an entertainment podcast, so don't take it too seriously. But having said that. And that memory is pretty good, by the way. <laughs> I got a little taste of reality TV from circa like 2010 to like 12, 13. So like after I had, well, we were still in a relationship at the time and ultimately I ended it um, with my ex and I really had my first boyfriend and I really started to put myself out there. And I had interviewed um, Kim D from Real Housewives in New Jersey in like fall 2010 and I became friendly with her and she had an, empo- an employee that worked for her who set up the interview. Um, also was working with Melissa and Kathy at the time. But no one knew Melissa and Kathy yet because they just started filming season three. So I became friendly with Melissa and Kathy before people really knew who they were. And this employee who worked for all three of them, Melissa, Kathy, and Kim D at the time, you know, I was friendly with, so I was invited to a lot of events and I really started to network. And it was a great, like, almost a year. But then the employee had a really bad falling out with Kim D. And I feel as though they became paranoid because they basically wanted me to stop speaking to Kim. Mm. And I had explained to them, I'm like, Listen, 
I'm like, I'm just trying to build my career. The more connections and people I'm on good terms with, the better. I don't want to delete and cut her out of my life. I'm like, I'm not gonna, I even told her at the time, I'm like, hey, listen, I won't trust her, but I just want to be cool with her because there's no reason for me to like have an issue with her. She did nothing wrong to me. Right. Like why burn a bridge if you haven't even crossed it yet? Yeah, and I even like, said, you still need I, the bridge. I even said, listen, because we were hanging out at the time, me and this employee, I'm like, listen, I'll be loyal to you. I won't really be super tight with her, but I'm not going to fight with her or delete her or block her because she's been good to me. Well, that wasn't enough because then the employee started to spite me and started to blacklist me from a ton of events. And it's like, how shady. Yeah. And just it was like, why would you do that? It's like, I didn't do anything. Yeah. You know, I was out drinking with these women when I was like 20 before I was of legal drinking age, <laughs> technically. So it's like, you know, and like, there was no one who could like vouch for you. Well, that thing is, I was friendly. I became friendly with, friendly with Melissa and her sisters who I thought were great. And I just feel like when you're seeing your employee do this to someone, I was basically a kid at the time, you should kind of step in and be like, you know, slow your roll. It's not Kim, you know, he didn't do the do whatever you're pissed at. Kim did, so why are you taking it out on him? Right. I felt like they could have stepped in and just told her to cool her, slow her roll. They did not, and they did not check the employee, and I was like really hurt and vulnerable because I felt like I was randomly being blacklisted and gonna start missing career opportunities just because I didn't want an issue with Kim. And so mm. that put me in a place to basically be taken advantage of. Um, so like long story. And then I got a firsthand view of how reality TV works. For example, Kim D invited me and introduced me to Penny and Teresa at a nightclub in Clifton a full week before that famous season four posh fashion show. Now, before that night, I'd never met Penny, and I only met Teresa briefly in passing a few times. So, long story short, that entire ambush that happened to Melissa at San Cubano during season four mm -hmm. at the finale was planned in advance. Yeah. Does it usually work this way? I, I think it probably depends on the show. But, like, it's like, looking back, I have, like, a lot of empathy for Melissa, because it's like, I was there a week before that season for a posh fashion show, mm -hmm. when... Kim D introduced me to Penny and I like met Teresa more more like really met her right at this nightclub in Clifton a season four I mean a week before the season four posh fashion show like it, that whole setup that happened the ambush that happened to Melissa was planned then the following season season five all the revelations that came out about Melissa all the people from her past who came forward on the show and then the people from her past who appeared in the press it was all thoroughly planned out like the girl had a lot of haters but because what happened to me mm -hmm. and how hurt I was by, you know, what her employee did. I, at the time, viewed, like, you know, all her enemies as victims. So it was, like, easy for me to take the bait. And, you know, in hindsight, these some of these women pursued friendships with me that I naively perceived as genuine. They knew that I had two good friends that worked for a major publishing company that published two big tabloids. Okay. So I was like the middleman, like the liaison type of way. And they kind of basically used me to funnel negative stories into the press about Melissa, whether it was using me to get to these friends of mine who had high up positions at the publishing company that ran these two major tabloids, or sometimes they'd tell me stuff and ask me to tweet it and I would tweet it. You know, they kind of didn't, they wanted their hands clean. So it was a lot of other people doing dirty work. Yeah especially me just saying i mean you were like young and impressionable and the thing is, it was so. like in hindsight i'm so pissed because yeah granted the employee pissed me off but it was like 
I basically destroyed genuine friendships that I was starting to build with Melissa and Kathy. And looking at all the work I'm doing now, like with the hair care lines, it would be nice to be like, hey, Melissa, call Melissa up and be like, hey, you're the prettiest one on the show. You know, you want to work with me on this and, you know, I could get you a check. You know, you work with me. You know what I mean? Yeah. We could have had a good business relationship. Not saying we could have been best friends, you know, but we could have had a good business relationship. And I feel like me being used to like do this shit like destroyed that and it also made me you know i'm very trustworthy yeah like we have a bunch of friends and everyone tells me like their life story i'm like that guy mm-hmm. and people like confide shit in me which i don't even think they should be confiding half the time but it never goes anywhere but at the time doing all this and putting all this out and being used as a puppet made me look as like a, a very untrustworthy and like catty gay bitch basically you know what I mean? Yeah. And that's really not me. And, you know, it went on for a while. Um, I mean, there were some, like, fun times, but it's like, they weren't genuine. When did you realize, like, I got to get out of this situation? Um, I'm, I won't say on air who, because of the subject matter, but a few of the ladies, you know, some may be some may have been part-time at the time or full-time. I'm not going to say who, but it's easy to figure it out after what I just said. Um, a few of the ladies were trying to coerce me to have my friends at the tabloids publish a story that Melissa's youngest son was the product of an affair that she supposedly had with her ex-boyfriend. Wow. Who was brought up during season five. And when I said no, especially because th- that, no, For, I felt like, no, don't ask me to have my friends do this because... This is, you're dealing, the subject matter is about someone who's underage and is a fucking kid. And it kind of made me feel like really fucking weird and gross. So I said no. So then what did they do? Um, Went behind my back. No. And contacted my friends directly, pressuring them to publish this story. What? Yeah. They completely like cut you out. Yeah. And at that point, I became disgusted with how low they were willing to go to hurt someone. Yeah. Honestly, even though I obviously was not speaking to Melissa at the time, I didn't necessarily like her. It was this moment when I became completely turned off and just over all of it. In fact, I was so done that when I pulled away from that machine, which it was like a a machine, I actually had any negative tweet that I ever said about Melissa Gorga permanently erased off the internet, like off social media. Wow. And not because I was trying to crawl up her ass, back up her ass, because clearly I didn't do that. And it was clearly just about doing what I felt was right. Like reparations? I just felt like it was right for me to do that because you're not like no one was going to use me to hurt someone, benefit off of it, and then have me look bad when I simply thought I was just being a good friend. Mm. Gotcha. You know? And so this is why you have a bad taste with reality TV. Yep. Yep. (laughs) I don't blame you. You were like in the background of like the drama that's yeah yeah, that's hard yeah and it was just like doing a lot of stuff which made me look completely bad and it's not even like i got paid really you know true okay maybe okay maybe (laughs) i did get a little pay but it was not in nothing compared to like the reality tv paycheck that these people get yeah, it was like a moral dilemma. Yeah. So <laughs> Wait a prob- second. <laughs> Melissa's probably just... And the thing is, uh, I kind of hope she hears this and just realizes I'm not a bad person. Because yeah. it's like after the fact, I went back and had a lot of well, what I could removed, you know? It's so funny. I actually went to a restaurant that I go to a lot. And me, April, Lori, 
Connie and some other people were just so happened to be seated right behind her at this restaurant a few months ago. Wow. It was, and it's clear, and I knew I was a topic of discussion. Clearly, I was just feet away. And I wanted to go up so bad and say something. Why didn't you? Because they were, her group was, oh. she, she, you could tell they had like a few cock to drink. Mm-hmm. And I was with like a big group. And I just, and you know me, I'm an impulsive person. If someone, if she wasn't going to be receptive, I didn't want to like act like a brat. Yeah. Like I could be and be like, well, you know, and then say something really mean, like, well, you know, you should be grateful because such and such was trying to do this and I had them not do it and then go into detail, you know, and, and I just was, brought up a whole bunch of. Yeah. And that would. Yeah. yeah and I didn't want to do that because but some of my friends went up to her like April was like, hey, could I go up and like give her my business card? I'm like, yeah, I'm like, go up to her. I'm like, I don't have an issue with her. I think that she just hates me because she thinks I did st- some stuff willingly, which I didn't. And some stuff just because I didn't like her, which is not true either. I was really like coerced and pressured and thought I was being a good friend at the time. You know, you're young, which I'm still young, but I was very impressionable at the time and younger. There we go. There we go. (laughs) How do you feel getting that off your chest? (laughs) Good. I mean, who knows like how it's going to be perceived, but you know, I'm just venting, I guess. I love it. Just being honest. Allegedly. We need to give Will Love a reality TV show. (laughs) My entire 20s have been a fucking reality TV show. I'm sure you know what all this stuff (laughs) There's some drama. I'm excited to dive into that. And we have so many future episodes to do that. Um, It's something about like when you work in that type of environment, when does it stop feeling? And I think Lisa Loeb, right? I'm like so casual. I think Lisa talked about this. No, she she talked about like the balance of like work life and personal life and finding the line. Yeah, well, her experience, she was kind of alluding to the fact that she kind of alluded in a way what she filmed was not what she saw because think about it if you're filming for months on end each episode is condensed to 40 minutes because you need to include 20 minutes of commercials um so those 40 minutes how much and it's so edited down Mm -hmm. you know you you're a lot of the times i feel like people go on these shows and they don't get the they're not being perceived how they thought they would because, you know, things need to be rough and cutted and edited into a story. So there's a lot of context that's removed. And I think that's why Lisa said that she would come back as a producer of a reality TV show, but she doesn't want to be on it again. And to I don't blame her. To be in control of like the story and how it's um, presented to the viewer. Yeah, because you have more creative control. And, you know, it's if it's not about you, you could really create a great story and you don't need to have a knot in your stomach every week when it airs. That's true. I too. would love to see her produce a show because she produces great music and she's so hands on with her music. She writes, she plays numerous instruments, she produces. So I'm sure she could produce a wicked TV show. I love how she referenced that album as like, a, a, uh, it's just a series of post-it notes on a mirror. <laughs> like I do that. I still do that. I have post-it notes on like my fridge at home. It's just supposed to know. Like, what year is it? We have technology. It's 2021. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Will. Uh, we have, like, technology where I can just add a note there. But instead, I have, like, physical post-it. I put post-it notes on the back of my phone. Mm-hmm. You know? And it's just, like, cute little notes or moments that I want to remember or reminders and stuff. But it's like, Lisa, we're best friends. <laughs> I don't know if you realize this. Yeah, I agree with you. Well, I, first of all, I always was told that writing things down and, like, lists really help you manifest what you want and i notice whenever i write down a list i stick with it like recently when i was redoing my home renovation which is a fucking process still happening i um 
found a list that I had written months ago. And I was like, oh, shit, almost everything on this list I did and checked off. Doesn't that feel good? It does. Yeah, absolutely. I even used to, well, I'm a big kid at heart, but <laughs> my room used to have a few, I had a few mirrors where in marker I would write things on it, like positive mantras. Oh, like in dry erase marker? Yeah. Yeah. Like, with like Sharpie that I could, or like marker that I could like wipe off at yes. some point. <laughs> but like I would do shit like that because I do feel it helps. Yeah. I just had to get rid of it because it started to be a little bit like amateurish looking, you know. Meanwhile, I'm still putting post notes everywhere. I don't want to bring like a guy home and it's like, oh, you have like basically a kid's bedroom. I'm like, yeah, welcome to my mom. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. How dare they though? It's your room. Yeah, they'll think that's like my mental age. I'm like, no, I believe in all this. I'm like a big kid at heart. Because then we're allowed to have like rustic decor where it's like live, laugh, love, you know, like. Yeah. So if I could have that, I'm going to put post notes everywhere. I'm going to remind myself to do this today, put it in my face so I can't escape it. So I have to do it. That's it. Yeah. It's all about you. Don't worry. Be the main character of your story. <laughs> Be the main character of your reality TV show. Right? Pull a Lisa Loeb. She does need to pull a reality. She does need to produce a reality TV show because she produces great music. And I love the fact that she, I felt like she was so touched that my favorite songs of hers are some of her lesser known songs. Like I Wish from the Anywhere But Here soundtrack, which is still one of my favorite movies. And how she she was like so like happy because I feel like a lot of people know her for Stay or know her for I Do. and know her for like a lot of her mainstream stuff. I love stuff. Stay. I love Stay. I don't care. I, will. I love that song. It's so good. I think it's, it speaks of like her songwriting skills because she's very like open and direct and vulnerable the way she writes and a lot of her music is that way and one thing about lisa i will say as we end this episode is that in speaking with a lot of these artists um they all tell me how much coronavirus has affected them you know just like it's affected us and it's been predominantly negative you know having interviewed a bunch of artists and spoken to them recently personally you know they all say that the pandemic has been a domino effect and it's all affected us financially, professionally, personally, some health wise, like some of us were got it and were really sick, like like me. Um, and then I had effects after that, which I didn't think I'd have. So everyone's been affected in one way or another that hearing about it, not to mention the fact that it's on the news and radio every time you turn it on, it could be daunting and depressing. And I really like the fact that Lisa sort of embraced a turn of events the best she could and and was like, well, you know, it allowed me to connect with fans more. It allowed me to start doing these virtual shows and getting to know my fans. It allowed me to do these talks on social media where I got to interact with people more, you know, like she and alluding to the fact that it allowed her time to put work into other projects like the eyeglass collection, the eyewear collection. So she she's very positive and it made me look at things a little bit differently. Mm-hmm. Like, you know what? You know, it put us all into an introspective state and she made the most of it. So props to her. Cheers and thank you to Lisa Loeb. Make sure to download or stream Lisa Loeb's latest album, A Simple Trick to Happiness, on Spotify.